is The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Joining us in studio now, he is a former South Burlington City Councilor and now has uh, Meadow Hill Consulting. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Kirk. Morning, Anthony. I thought it'd be apropos for somebody who works for the uh, auto industry to <laughs> roll in with Lowrider. So, Matt, tell us, like first it. of all, uh, you've been on the show, of course, a number of times, but tell us what uh, Metal Hill Consulting does. Sure. We uh, manage nonprofit trade associations and provide communications and advocacy service, uh, mostly in Montpelier, but all around Vermont. And most of my clients are in the energy, transportation, economic development, housing, telecom space, which is a big, it's a big space, but there's a lot going on there. And uh, it's a fascinating time to be involved in public policy in Vermont. What are the big issues that you're tracking right now? And of course, the legislative session's coming up in, you know, not right around the corner now. Well, the big issues continue to be the, the long-term goals, energy goals of the state of Vermont, which is to eventually eliminate the use of fossil fuels for heat and for transportation. So when we're talking about the Global Warming Solutions Act, the Clean Heat Standard, the forthcoming Clean Transportation Standard, or the Zero Emission Vehicle Regulations, what we're seeing is both regulations, mandates, and, and incentives towards getting people to drive fewer fossil fuel-powered vehicles and to heat their homes with less fossil fuels. And, and as, those prog- you know, as those broad goals go into effect, uh, there comes some significant regulation, some taxation that, that creates this, this, um, this opportunity for those that are selling electric cars, electric heat, and providing electricity to Vermont. So um, for the listeners, I, we, we touched on it briefly before we went on the air, but, but um, we're mandated because we're, we, we, I can't believe we passed a law that requires us to follow California, uh, which to me is mind-blowing. But yeah. Talk to us about those deadlines that were mandated because we're following that law. Yeah, oftentimes, and probably we all do this in our personal lives, but certainly it happens in politics, is that when you set a goal that's far off. You know, when, when Kurt created the Kurt Wright diet, you know, he set a goal that was far <laughs> off that maybe he got distracted by oh. it. But, but the same things happens with energy policy, right? There are goals that to get us to 2030 that turn into mandates, which now are being put into action. And we what we are seeing is the slow development of that. So, for instance, the goal is to get people to use less gasoline. Well, how do they get there? Well, one of the things that they're doing is requiring Vermont, uh, requiring auto manufacturers to deliver to Vermont auto dealers electric vehicles, zero emission vehicles in greater numbers up to the point of 2035, way out in the distance, but 2035 is when all New vehicles delivered to Vermont car dealers have to be zero emission vehicles. But it starts in 2027, model year 2027, when you're going to have 35% of new vehicles on a new car dealer's lot uh, be zero emission vehicles. It's also happening on the truck side. So on the truck side, now, again, all of these were, were, were regulations put in place in California, adopted by Vermont, as it comes a California Air Resources Board zero emission vehicle state. But the same thing is happening on the truck side. On the truck side, that by, by 2030, 10% of the heavy-duty trucks on the road have to be all electric. The problem with this, these mandates, particularly on the truck side, is that those vehicles that deliver our milk, that deliver wood products, that, that, that sustain our agricultural economy, they go 24-7. And there's three different drivers in one cab of, of the same diesel tractor-trailer truck. 
And as we move to all electric vehicles, not only are they three or four times as much as a diesel-powered tractor-trailer truck, um, but, but I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of how goods and services flow throughout our country. And until that truck is, is cost-competitive with a diesel truck, until it can be charged as fastly as it can be filled with diesel fuel, it, it's difficult to understand how our economy, which greatly depends on agriculture and wood products, how we're going to be able to sustain that, that regulation, how we're going to be able to continue to be in business when uh, the tractor-trailer trucks on the road are required to be emission, or they'll be used, right? So the used vehicle market and the used tractor-trailer market, tractor-trailer truck market, will be significant, but that's not necessarily good for the environment, good for the economy, or good for fuel economy. Right, because then then you're talking about manufacturing uh, taking a hit because you're not building any new new diesel trucks. We're going to be like Cuba. We're just going to keep fixing the same vehicles, and, and 50 years later, they'll we'll still have them on the road. Well, that's right. They still drive Studebakers right. in Cuba. So, exactly. they, so they managed to get around. And we'll, we're, we're pretty well, ingenious. Well, are pretty ingenious. Yeah. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of all invention. But is it, good, is it good environmental policy? Is it good energy policy? That's to be debated. So, so Matt, with, this, with the session coming up, well, uh, what, will you, what, what changes need to be made? What can Vermonters hope for that are concerned about this? What do we do? Well, I think there's going to take a long look at what they did last year in the heating space. So as you recall, there was something called S-5, the Affordable Heat Act, which was passed. It was vetoed, and then it was overridden by the Senate. The legislature became law. There are some people that just thought it was a really expensive study who voted for it. It is not a study. It is taking effect now. We are seeing uh, uh, action happening in the Public Utility Commission to build a registry of fuel dealers. We are seeing action in the Public Utility Commission to determine how to allocate what's called clean heat credits, who earns them and how. Yes, there will be another vote in 2025 that will uh, determine whether this goes into effect, but they're already discussing ways that they can raise the funds in order to pay for designing this program. And one of the suggestions was this is a tax on heating fuel. So we're going to see that probably in the legislature as they figure out if they can figure it out. It's going to take a tremendous amount of money just designing a clean heat credit exchange in which buyers and sellers of these clean heat credits can can enter into the market and know that there's with confidence that they are selling something that's of value. So, I mean, I remember I had legislators who contacted me at the time and were saying, why won't the governor, we've now given him what he wanted. We've turned this into a study. And I know you just said it's not just a study, but that was kind of the the point, right? People on one side said, we've backed off and we've made it into a study of what the governor wanted and he still won't support it. Yeah, it's not a study. It, it is one of the most convoluted and complex and expensive studies that I have ever seen in my 20 years of, of working in the state. House. And where it goes past the study is they actually start implementing certain things. Yeah, they start. It's already being implemented. It's already being designed. When what where the rubber hits the road is whether the legislature gives final approval after the election in 2024, mm-hmm. in 2025, and whether or not to uh, proceed. And do you just think that they they wouldn't possibly go the other way at that point after they've gone this far down that far down the path well frankly given where we are now i'm not sure they're even going to have the, all the information about how much it will cost vermonters and right that was one of the big things was how much the cost was we were and, trying to get a handle and on. then of course they're going to say well we've we've put all this energy into building this this i mean if it was a study they wouldn't be building out these systems <laughs> right yeah that's exactly right yeah uh, I, I think the impact is going to be felt, and I, I love the way that it's timed for another non-election year. Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> they think we don't. I guess. I guess it works. They must think people don't 
think to see that. Well, okay. all these lawyers and consultants cost money. So at a certain point, they either have to devote general taxpayer money to this quote unquote study slash implementation, or they have to design a tax of fee on heating fuel um, users in order to pay for this um, tax study, this design program. I mean, the idea that they are going to implement the same type of regulations that they do in, uh, in the electric world, in which it, the biggest misunderstanding of that is electric utilities are regulated monopolies. Um, the difference with the, the distributed fuels, delivered fuels, is that it's a competitive environment in which if you don't like your provider, you can find another. And that's different, electricity. Electricity, you're stuck with who, who, who's there, who's got the territory that's been granted and allocated by the Public Utility Commission. And the other funny thing is they don't talk a lot about this, but the, the, the organizations that have these credits to sell stand to make a great deal of money and how they come up with these credits. There, there, there aren't that many organizations that are going to have credits for sale. Well, one organization that might have a lot of credits for sale, depending on what happens in Burlington, are the folks that are designing the nonprofit that will take on the the excess wood uh, wood heated steam uh, the, from the McNeil plant and bring it up to UVM? If that in fact reduces greenhouse gas emissions by reducing natural gas consumption at the hospital, then under a clean heat standard, that entity will have credits mm-hmm. of which they can sell. Now they could sell them to Vermont Gas Systems, or they could sell them to Joe's Fuel in Bennington who will have to buy them. So imagine that. Imagine the customer of Joe's Fuel in Bennington or Bob's and Bell's Falls buying credits from this nonprofit propped up by uh, UVM and the, um, excuse me, the Medical Center in, in Burlington in order to pay for the wood plant, pay for heat at the hospital. And this is, uh, it's tough to think back. There's so many issues that uh, are, you're, you go on in Montpelier this is the one that Secretary Julie Moore had done the back of the envelope math, right? And the com- the, com- the committee all complained about it because it was back of the math on back of the envelope math, right? There, where she had she'd come up with a number, and some people think it's going to be less, but a lot of people think it's going to be actually sin- significantly more costly. Right. So you could generate a credit in Burlington, and that credit could be worth seventy cents a gallon, as the secretary of the Agency of Natural Resources and one of the members of the Climate Commission said very clearly in her testimony. And the only way um, for a fuel dealer in Eden or Belvedere or, or Fairfax in order for them to keep selling heating fuel to their customers in rural Vermont is to buy a credit from the city of Burlington. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's genius if you're in the city of Burlington. Not so great if you live in Belvedere or Eden or Fairfax or Bells Falls or any one of the 250 other towns in Vermont. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, two-minute break, and then we'll be back. We're talking with Matt Coda. And- Makers, this is the way. This is the Morning Drive on News Talk WVMT. We are back on the Morning Drive. Welcome back, everybody. Talking to Matt Coda, former South Burlington City Councilor, and now he has uh, Meadow Hill Consulting. Uh, Matt, uh, now let's talk about, uh, we talked about the clean heat standard and your major concerns about that in the upcoming legislative session. But of course, you're a former South Burlington City Councilor, and you've got uh, you represent a lot of uh, businesses. Um, tell us what's going on in South Burlington. I, of course, read where Tyler Barnes, who had been elected uh, just last year, um, got a job out of state, so he's left the City Council. And former CEDO Director Larry Kupferman, uh, explain to me the process uh, when you when you uh, what how does that work when you a councilor leaves. Yeah, no, it is confusing. Mid-term. Yeah, I, I didn't leave midterm when I, re- right. I I served all all two years of my term 
and decided not to run for re-election. But, um, Anthony, just to let you know, I saw Kurt uh, a week ago, and I said, I know you got a lot of Burlington politics to talk about, but South Burlington, ever since Essex and Essex Junction, but we're the second largest city. So I want to yeah. elevate oh, the yeah. conversation about South Burlington politics because you get a lot of listeners in South Burlington. Absolutely. And like I said to you, the reality in Chittenden County is uh, most of us who live here spend a lot of time in South Burlington, a lot of time in South Burlington. That's well, why, it's why we had the chief of police, Sean Burke, only about a month ago. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, we are the second largest city now. And, and even though we are... Um, we are south of Burlington. We are not uh, Burlington's southern uh, <laughs> southern town or southern southern area. We are our own separate city, I have to remind people. And we're the second largest city. And we've got a lot of great things happening. But some of the challenges that you have in Burlington, we certainly have in South Burlington as well. Retail theft, up 14% from last year. The year before was up 35%. Our larceny for motor vehicles, up 306% over last year. You know, we're kind of... we're. There are some people that think South Burlington, they still remember the 1950s when it's apple orchards and cow farms and all that. But we are not that. We are the second largest city. We are, we are mostly urban. And uh, you are growing at a pace that is, that is uh, I don't think, I think it's second to none. I mean, I know a lot of teachers that teach in South Burlington, and there's a wave of students headed to schools that they're not sure how they're going to accommodate. Well, we think we're growing at a pace that, that fits what Chittenden County needs. And, and frankly... Mm-hmm. Um, if in order to, for our economy to grow in Chittenden County is the economic engine of the state, we think that housing is, continues to oh, be. It is. So you have a, a counselor who was appointed. Oh, yeah. Go back how to How, how does yeah. that work? And then okay. you've got some big races coming up. Yeah. So so unlike unlike Burlington, well, we do have a city council. We I like don't, the way he says that derisively. Yeah, yeah. Burlington. <laughs> well, I just want to make a distinction. South, Bur- South Burlington is not the southern part of Burlington. It is South Burlington itself. But anyways. Um we, ha- we don't have wards. We don't have districts. Every- we have five city councilors. All are at large, meaning wow. every single voter can vote for them. But they run on terms that are two councilors a year. And there's a two-year term and a three-year term. Now, what happened in South Burlington is Tyler Barnes, who had the support of the South Burlington Business Association. He, um, like a lot of people in, the- in our lives, had to make a decision for himself and his family. And his decision was to take a job in another state. And and Tyler uh, totally understand why he would do that. And the squeeze that was happening uh, that happens to many middle-class families, he was experiencing it. So he left. And I know his heart's in South Burlington. His heart is in Vermont where he grew up. Um, but he did probably the right thing for him and his family by taking a job out of state. Now, what happens then is that when you have to resign, of course, when you don't live here, and the seat is filled up until the next election, which is town meeting day on March 5th, 2024. So unlike... For usual uh, cycles, there will be three seats on the ballot or in city council. And okay. Remember, there's only five, so usually two. So the yeah. majority is going to is so, going to be reelected. So, so what you have is you have um, or elected, I elected, say. right? Yeah. So you have a three year term, a two year term, and now a one year term, which is the remainder of Tyler's term. But the process was that the city council appointed Larry Kupferman. Was the was there a number of candidates that they were the council was considering, or how did that work? So ten people, ten South Burlington residents, because you've got to be a South Burlington resident. Uh, applied for the position, were interviewed by the four counselors, Ten. and then yeah, and then they made the decision to uh, on to appoint Larry again, only serving the remainder of the right, term. Right, his seat. Whether he decides to run again, I don't know the answer to that question. Whether uh, Helen Reilly or Megan Emery, who are the counselors whose term is up, decide to run again, is still unknown. But the idea is, we have a real opportunity here in South Burlington. 
there are a lot of changes that have happened over the last uh, year and a half that certainly I saw while I was on the council. And I think there'll be a number of uh, pro-business, uh, pro-public safety candidates who certainly want to get involved. And if there's any out there listening, uh, feel free to give me a call. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we're always supportive of people that want to volunteer their time on any of the number of volunteer committees in South Burlington uh, or to uh, decide to serve. So you need good candidates. Absolutely. And you have three seats up. That's Helen Re- We don't know if the incumbents are running yet or not. They haven't declared. But Helen Reilly, the chair. Yep. Uh, Megan Emery. Yep. And the seat that Tyler Barnes held that Larry Kupferman's been appointed to. Um, ten people, though, applied for that spot, but I guess maybe they'd want to be appointed. Some might not want to actually have to run for it. Yeah, you know, it, it, uh, certainly I have experience, you have experience. There are some people that really do want to serve but aren't sure about the whole campaign thing. Yeah. <laughs> I know, get that, it. That's a little, yeah. that's a little intimidating. They're not, that's <laughs> something that they're not, it's not yeah. intuitive. But I, I view campaigning as kind of like riding a bike. I didn't quite know what to do when I first got there, but after you do it, it's, it's, oh, oh, okay, this is easy. I understand how to do this. It's work. It's hard work. There's no question about it. But there is a, uh, once you, once you do it for, uh, get involved in a campaign, either supporting a candidate or a candidate yourself, then you kind of understand how it works. Yeah. And, and in these town meeting races, they're short sprints, right? There's six weeks until, uh, where people are paying attention and then eventually the vote. So you need helps. good candidates. They can contact you if they. Absolutely. How do they contact you? Well, they go to uh, go to MeadowHillVT.com, and they can find all my information. And uh, we've got somebody that's been wanting to get through. So we're almost out of time. So got, callers got to make it quick. All right, let's go to the phones. Uh, we're almost out of time. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, I'm calling in for some uh, free consultation. Uh, I live over in Washington County. Can I just buy oil and propane from, like, Lebanon if the uh, delivery is a little bit cheaper? Are there any rules against that? I think, I think that's actually a question we've had before with this this standard in place. Can New Hampshire fuel dealers sell in Vermont without having to buy credits? So technically, no. Right. But, but trucks move. Uh, so, so they have to buy credits. If they sell fuel into Vermont, they're required by law to buy credits. However, the key part of this and something that I've been talking about for two years since they started talking about it was how are they going to enforce the borders? Our trucks move at... The trucks that deliver fuels deliver at all hours of the day because yeah. they have to, Yeah. right? How will the Public Utility Commission, which has never, never regulated the liquid fuels industry ever, how will they develop an enforcement mechanism to ensure that dealers from across the border that deliver in Vermont are, in fact, registered and are paying the necessary obligation. It is a very complicated system of credits and accounting of which the Public Utility Commission, with all the work they've done, they've never quite seen anything like this before. And you know this because if you read all the filings, they're asking questions that are very basic that we have the answers to, but yet it's like the blind man and the elephant. I don't quite know what they're holding here. Matt, uh, we're out of time. Essentially, Give me just a really quick answer. What Along with the council races, what's the big issue that uh, South Burlington is going to have to consider? Well, uh, there's there's the comp plan is coming, so it's an eight year plan on on how we design our city for the future. There's the uh, rental registry, which is we've got 3,500 rental units in South Burlington. Uh, new standards for them. Uh, there's always going to be uh, budget issues. There's a there's an effort to spend several hundred thousand dollars on people that will. Uh, 
write grants for electric vehicle chargers right. and, and public safety it will be always be a key yep. issue in, in South Burlington. A lot of big issues. So all right, former South Burlington City Councilor Matt Coda. He's now with Meadow Hill Consulting and uh thanks for being on the morning drive as always. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Matt. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. Fox News